most convincing story that maps onto reality, and that's why the central narrative is falling apart. Right now in the United States, people should not be walking around with masks. We must see the central narrative for the fiction that it is. We are Americans. While elections are sometimes messy, this was a secure election. The founders began the fight for human liberty and self-governance, and it's up to us to finish the job. I tell you what, we are in a truth emergency right now. This is the end game. It's Monday, May 9th, 2022, the 474th day of dystopia. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. Before we start today, I just want to mention the great patriot Mike Lindell and his great American company, MyPillow. Right now, you can go to MyPillow.com, use the promo code reasonable and receive up to 60% off items across the website. You can make your bed more comfortable, your home more comfortable, your feet more comfortable. Get a mattress pad, get the Giza Dream sheets, get some pillows, get some slippers, get some towels. You will be on your way to a much cushier lifestyle. You will also be supporting this show, supporting the great patriot Mike Lindell and his great American company, MyPillow. MyPillow.com, promo code reasonable. So Friday night, Donald Trump was in Pennsylvania for a rally in support of his endorsed Senate candidate, Dr. Mehmet Oz. Now, Dr. Oz is not someone that appeals to most of MAGA or maybe even all of MAGA. Part of that is that he seems like a plant. He has never involved himself formally in politics before. He's the sort of candidate that seems artificially dropped into the race to be the guy that wins on name recognition alone. He's got a bunch of inconsistent policies. He doesn't speak the MAGA language, really. He doesn't seem to be any sort of fire breather for the MAGA causes, especially election fraud. And people are pretty lukewarm on his entire demeanor. Dr. Oz is just not that appealing to the America First movement. Nonetheless, Donald Trump endorsed him and he must have endorsed him for a good reason. Now, we might not know that reason. We can speculate about different reasons. We could also just take it at face value and think that Donald Trump really believes Dr. Oz is the best candidate to win, not only in the primary, but in the general election. He could completely believe that. People speculated that Oz might be booed on stage or whenever he was mentioned by Trump at the rally on Friday, that for the most part did not happen. The response was not overwhelmingly positive, but it was polite. And Donald Trump went after one of Oz's primary establishment opponents, Dave McCormick, pretty hard, essentially for selling out America to the Chinese Communist Party and making a fortune 
off things that did not benefit America or Americans or American workers in particular. And then there was polling that came out over the weekend from Trafalgar. That's Robert Cahaley's group. They were the most accurate of all the polling companies in predicting the 2020 election. And while that's great, it's kind of hard to put too much faith in any pollster, no matter where they come down, because of the impact of election fraud all over the country. And now election fraud is something to look out for in the primaries as well. And on the Republican side, I don't think anybody who listens to this show regularly has any illusions about what I think about election fraud. It happens on both sides of the uniparty. And they're not two sides. It's the same thing. It's just the uniparty. Whether they have a D in front of their name or an R in front of their name, their goal is to get elected and serve the uniparty. And I'm going to talk some more about that in just a second. But the polling often just exists to support narratives, especially when that polling is coming out of more mainstream uh, polling companies, the ones that have their polls funded by the media. And there was kind of an interesting polling aspect to the Ohio GOP primary last week that a lot of people didn't pay attention to, and probably for good reason. This is just an observation. We'll have to see if it plays out. But most of the focus of that race was who the candidate was going to be. Is it going to be J.D. Vance? Is he going to be able to blast past Josh Mandel and Mike Gibbons and hold on to his lead over Jane Timken and Matt Dolan? Jane Timken's polling was pretty flat the entire time. So was Josh Mandel's. But J.D. Vance made a real come from behind. Mike Gibbons was always up there with Josh Mandel. He dropped off toward the end. And as Mike Gibbons, the more establishment candidate, dropped off, Matt Dolan at the very, very end skyrocketed from like the single digits up to around 20% so that he was the main challenger for J.D. Vance, Josh Mandel. If Matt Dolan pulled it off, it would be a rebuke to the MAGA movement. So he shot up in the polls last minute. I guess in hopes that they were going to be able to steal that election. And I want to see if we observe that same pattern in other states and other GOP primaries where they try to elevate an establishment candidate right at the end and capture all the attention and push that person forward to a win. Now, again, this is just polling. Polling can be used to represent a narrative in the future. Imagine how different it would have been, how much more difficult it would have been to convince the American public that Joe Biden actually secured 81 million real legal American votes if the polling didn't reflect Biden with a few point lead throughout the entirety of that 2020 race. Now, knowing the extent of the election fraud, knowing how much support Donald Trump had across the country and how little support Joe Biden had. Joe Biden didn't even campaign. Would anyone have believed that Joe Biden got 81 million real legal American votes if they hadn't been shown polls the entire time that made them feel they were still in some sort of majority? Of course, they're not. And it could not be more obvious, especially now that people are seeing 2000 mules, which, by the way, covers a very, very small percentage of the country's total votes. 
They could run that same process in towns and cities across the country and get a much more accurate picture of how much Donald Trump truly won by. And it is millions and millions of votes. And I'll talk a little bit more about 2000 mules later as well. So the polling can be used to build a narrative over time. And then at the end of the cycle, before the actual election takes place, usually the polling kind of converges to more accurately represent what will be the final result. In Ohio, should we just accept that Matt Dolan won the Mike Gibbons vote at the very, very end? I mean, maybe, maybe. But if we keep observing this pattern, then we should understand that maybe there's something else going on there. So anyway, Trafalgar Group released a poll over the weekend that shows Dr. Oz in first place in Pennsylvania and then a challenger named Kathy Barnett just behind him. We have been convinced by the media that it's Dr. Oz and Dave McCormick. They're the front runners. Dave McCormick is the super establishment candidate and Dr. Oz is a bit of a wild card. We don't know if he's some sort of rhino or infiltrator. We know that his positions on many of the important issues to MAGA cannot be trusted or can be outright rejected. He's not a perfect MAGA candidate by any means. He's just a little too slick. He's not. There's something inauthentic about him. Whereas Kathy Barnett speaks the America first language perfectly. She is an absolutely wonderful candidate from what we can see so far. Now, that said, people are just beginning to really get familiar with her. But she seems like the genuine article. She put out a video at the end of last week, maybe over the weekend, where she and her mother talk about how her mother became impregnated at age 12 and had Kathy Barnett at age 12, a product of rape where she chose to keep her baby. And the video is absolutely one of the most powerful political statements you will ever see. I challenge you to watch it and not begin to tear up. That's how it is. And Kathy Barnett also does things like this. So I think you're a magnanimous individual, but you and your corporation, McCormick, you are a part of the WEF, the World Economic Forum, you as well as you, um, uh, are both part of the World Economic Forum. This is a very serious organization that has a, a, a mindset of pushing globalism and ESG, environmental social. Okay, thank you. And we Ms. need to be mindful thank of you, that. Thank you, Ms. Barnett. Fifteen second quick response, sir, McCormick, Mr. McCormick. Well, listen, I've run, I've, I've run two businesses, wildly successful businesses. I'm not going to apologize for my success. I have done business around the world. It makes me uniquely capable of understanding the global world that we work, that we live in. I've served in the military. I've served in combat, so I know how to deal with the challenges we face. All right. And just like President Trump, that experience is going to make you. me a better senator. Thank but that didn't have anything to do with the that, world economic. Thank form. you. Let's continue on with Mr. Bart. Now that right there is exactly what we need. She is in second place right now, one point three percent behind Dr. Oz, according to Trafalgar. Now I was saying Dr. Oz is not a great MAGA candidate. And 
On Friday, before the rally, there was an interesting statement, a series of tweets by Mike Pompeo talking about how Oz, who has dual citizenship, United States and Turkey, voting in Turkish elections as recently as 2018, and also criticizing his work with Turkish airlines. And Pompeo said, maybe it's all innocent. Maybe it's all straight up. But we in the people of Pennsylvania and the Americans who he will be representing as one of 100 members of the U.S. Senate voting on important national security matters need to understand the scope and depth of his relationship with the Turkish government. Now, we'll see how this develops. I mean, on the substance of it, I pretty much agree with Pompeo. We shouldn't have dual citizens in American government. Sorry, dual citizens. Be American citizens and you can be an American government. But I hope as a country, we are past the point of electing people who have other priorities besides America first and the American people first. But Oz has said if he's elected, he will renounce his Turkish citizenship. So make of that what you will. Pompeo's comments are being reported as given on behalf of Dave McCormick, to whom Pompeo has ties. But we don't know how this is totally going to pan out. There are a lot of people in our circles who think that Pompeo is 100% solid, on board, America first, and part of this whole process. Very close to Trump, still on the team, still on board. I'm not sure if that's true or not. I am not convinced by that stuff. I'm not generally convinced by the idea that people are playing roles and saying false things in order to service this production, in order to convince people, in order to further the Great Awakening. I don't believe that blatant dishonesty and trickery are part of the Great Awakening. I think that for the Great Awakening to be possible and to be effective, People need to make the proper decisions based on honest and authentic and sincere information and people. So it runs counter to how I perceive this whole situation. But there are people like uh, Just Human on Telegram and obviously elsewhere, Kyle, who I think are very, very smart and very insightful and absolutely disagree with me about this stuff. So I'm open to being wrong, but I try to take things first at face value and see if they fit, see if they map onto reality, see if they make sense at face value. It is quite possible that Pompeo is legitimately supporting Dave McCormick. And if he is, then Pompeo is establishment and working in opposition to MAGA, working in opposition to Donald Trump. That I have to keep that open as a possibility. I don't know how other people just deny the possibility of that, but I'm open to their reasoning and I'm open to them being right and me having missed something totally possible. But I think also as Trump's endorsement of Oz has put McCormick a bit on the back burner, it has also brought a lot of attention to this Senate race and it has allowed even Dr. Oz, who, as I said, is no fire breather to still hit McCormick and the GOP establishment on a bunch of different issues. I don't know if he's going to be the guy to get it done, though. And we still do have a week to go, eight days to go before the Pennsylvania primary. That is a lot of time for Kathy Barnett to solidify the coalition that's backing her and actually win this thing. 
Maybe Oz pulls enough GOP establishment, enough people focused on getting people with R's next to their name elected. Maybe the Oz endorsement pulls enough of those people away from McCormick that they kind of divide and conquer with Kathy Barnett coming out in the lead. And there's a very similar situation going on in the Georgia gubernatorial primary that's happening on May 24th. We have the rhino uniparty communist incumbent, Brian Kemp, who failed to do anything about the obvious and overwhelming evidence of election fraud in his state in the 2020 election, because Brian Kemp is a complete and total sellout. There should be no doubt about that whatsoever. And while I feel sympathy for certain of those reasons why he's a sellout, he is nonetheless a sellout and a traitor. He may well have been involved in committing treason, and I hope he is punished accordingly. That said, his daughter's boyfriend, Harrison Deal, also was quite obviously blown up in his car, and it was just swept under the rug and called an accident. That was when Brian Kemp was thinking about calling a special session in Georgia. That ended that. And Kemp has been 100% committed to the global communist agenda ever since. He is one of the primary people in this country keeping the election fraud regime in place. So Donald Trump endorsed David Perdue. David Perdue was the incumbent Republican senator in 2020. On November 3rd, 2020, he failed to secure, just barely failed to secure 50% of the vote. And he ended up in a runoff against John Ossoff, who eventually won, won in quotes, on January 5th, 2021, the day before the very violent insurrection, the day that pipe bombs were found at the RNC and DNC, and they still can't find who did it. And of course, there was a lot of controversy surrounding that January 5th, 2021 runoff in Georgia. We know for a fact the election fraud system was still in place. But we are also often misled into believing that there was some possible way for David Perdue to have won that runoff. Like there was going to be some circumstance where they just let him have it. If only a few thousand more MAGA voters had shown up. Only a few thousand more people who were too dejected from election fraud to want to show up and vote. That's what we're told. There's no way that would have happened. They steal elections. They don't almost steal elections. They get the result they want. Now, some of that in certain instances has been thwarted or some of the degree of that has been thwarted. But there's no reason to believe that that happened in Georgia. There was no amount of MAGA supporters who were going to show up and vote for David Perdue that would have changed the outcome of that election. Same thing with Kelly Leffler's election, her runoff against Raphael Warnock. But people have been resentful of David Perdue ever since because he did not stand up strongly enough against election fraud. He didn't plead his own case twice. And by the way, I'm one of those people. I have been one of those people. David Perdue seemed absolutely like a corrupt weakling for just taking it, not saying anything about the fact that he was cheated out of two elections within the span of two months. But nonetheless, Trump endorsed him. 
And from the moment they began the debates in this Georgia gubernatorial primary, David Perdue has come out swinging about election fraud, about Kemp not doing his job at the end of 2020 and the beginning of 2021 and ever since, by the way. Brian Kemp still repeats the slogan that the election was very safe and very secure. And it has been absolutely critical for David Perdue to be in this race and making that claim because the national media has had to cover it. People are seeing these headlines. David Perdue believes the big lie. David Perdue's trying to win his primary over the very responsible Brian Kemp by using the big lie, by exploiting the big lie. And it's good that that narrative has been injected into that conversation. The Georgia GOP primary is now inseparable from the election fraud conversation because David Perdue has made that the issue. So whatever else you want to say about David Perdue, that has been effective. Now, there's another candidate in Georgia that people are really excited about who is probably the most MAGA candidate, the most America first candidate. She's certainly the most authentic and the one whose motivations no one seems to doubt whatsoever. And her name is Candace Taylor. You know, she's in third place down there. But Georgia is a runoff state. So if neither Kemp nor Purdue reaches 50%, then there will be a runoff between the top two candidates. So John Fredericks was on War Room this morning, and he was talking about exactly this. And he said something that I thought was really interesting. He said that, you know, you should vote for the candidate you want, because every vote that's not for Brian Kemp is a vote that will keep Brian Kemp under 50%. So this situation is different than what we saw in Ohio last week and what we're going to see in Pennsylvania next week. And so it's possible for people to cast a vote for Candace Taylor and not in any way empower Brian Kemp. Ideally, Candace Taylor and David Perdue would both finish in front of Kemp, leaving him in third place. And then the runoff would be between Perdue, the Trump endorsed candidate, and Candace Taylor, the person who seems most authentically MAGA. And I'm happy to accept either of those options. By rights, David Perdue should be a sitting U.S. senator right now. He already has a job that he was elected to do. But beyond anything in both these races, we want to make sure that Dave McCormick does not win in Pennsylvania and that Brian Kemp does not cross the 50 percent threshold in Georgia, even if he does end up finishing in first place in the primary in 15 days. Kathy Barnett was on War Room this morning, and her whole segment was great. It is up in the info stream, t.me slash I'm your moderator on Telegram. And hat tip always to Carly Bond, the Midnight Rider, who is just the best at pulling video clips all day long. But this really caught my ear right here. But people say, hey, Kathy Barnett's got a great story. Kathy Barnett's a great person. Kathy Barnett's pure MAGA. In fact, Kathy Barnett may be ultra MAGA. But at the end of the day, 
Kathy Bar if you vote for Kathy Barnett, you're basically giving up a Senate seat. She's not going to beat Fetterman. She's not going to beat Connor Lamb. And as great as she is, she's too MAGA. She's too hardcore. She's too hidebound. Uh, she's not prepared to be a United States senator from the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. What do you say to, in, 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 uh, to answer that, ma'am? I mean, do these people have a crystal ball? Are they geniuses? Are they incarnate? How do they know? Because if I had listened to them, I wouldn't be now less than, what, less than 2% behind Oz. I've overtaken McCormick. And how many people have told me and told us that we couldn't do it? There was no chance. It wasn't going to happen. We didn't have enough money. You're too this. You're too that. You know what? I'm not listening to these people. I love my country. I would have laid my life down for this country. This is my country, and I have every right to stand and defend. And what really matters is what the, is what the voters are saying. And so far, the voters, for over a month now, have been saying, we want Kathy Barnett. So I'm going to stay in this fight um, until, until, uh, until November. <laughs> uh, we're not going anywhere. And it's really because of the people. If the people did not believe that I was who it is that they wanted, then they would not be making me relevant because I certainly cannot buy their eyeballs the way my opponents have been trying to do. I am simply stepping outside of my comfort zone, outside of my home, and saying I believe we can do better in this country. And the people of Pennsylvania are saying, yes, we agree. So we're going to stay in this fight. Um, and what is to America first? Because, again, what's the option? America last? And do we really need another professional politician? Or is it time that we begin to get citizens elected into these positions? Now, that caught my attention because thinking about her opponents in her race, Dr. Oz is not a career politician and Dave McCormick is not a career politician. We have way too many career politicians in this country. In fact, career politicians are one of the biggest problems in this country. And we have those in the Pennsylvania governor's race. We have them in the Georgia governor's race, the Georgia secretary of state's race, races in primaries all around the country. Many of the most important ones pit a MAGA candidate against a very, very establishment candidate, many of whom are career politicians. But she didn't say career politician. She said professional politician. And I was thinking about what the distinction there might be. And normally the word professional denotes a person who is doing a job and they're doing that job for money. This is their job. This is their income. And there are actually many ways to generate income as a politician, as a professional politician. You are a politician as your job. And if you are in Congress or in the Senate or you're a governor, you're in a position where you actually get all sorts of job opportunities, financial opportunities as perks of being a professional politician. Imagine if a young person was thinking about what they wanted to do for a career. What can I do that's going to make me a lot of money? What can I be successful at? Now, if the answer to what can make you a lot of money is going into politics, then you are not serving the people. That's pretty obvious. Getting into office to make money, to acquire wealth and power is exactly what our movement is attempting to stop. Politics should be a career of public service. 
not a way to generate massive income. And in McCormick and Oz, we're talking about people who have been successful within the system, not upsetting the system, particularly McCormick. And global politics plays into that. In fact, we heard him mention it. He didn't refute anything about the World Economic Forum. He simply accepted it. He tried to reframe it as acquired expertise in global politics. He's saying, I actually totally understand what the global order is, and I'm the best person to be able to continue to implement the global order. Now, that is exactly what we should not and do not want. And so I think it's interesting that she refers to them as professional politicians. And what I take from that is that we do not need to be electing more people who who go into politics motivated by what they stand to gain. So this polling for Barnett is extremely good news, and I hope that she continues her ascent for the next eight days and takes this thing running away. I would love, love to see Kathy Barnett in the general election against that Kevin Fetterman freak in Pennsylvania, that giant who is basically seems like an actual communist Satan spawn. It would be fantastic watching that guy come up and try to call Kathy Barnett who is, by the way, an actual strong, intelligent black woman, a crazy person or an extremist or a domestic terrorist. I would love to see Fetterman make the argument that abortion should be legal in all cases across the board on a debate stage against someone who herself was a product of rape and who is alive and with us today and the woman that she is because her mother chose not to have an abortion despite the trauma of her situation. So it seems to me like we have some really great options that are materializing right in front of us. And the power of the movement on the ground is starting to become really visible to everyone. So 2000 Mules came out this weekend. If you haven't watched it yet, I strongly encourage you to watch it and to share it with people who might be open to watching it because it shows conclusive proof that the election in 2020 was quite obviously stolen and stolen at multiple levels. Now, in terms of the movie itself, the beginning was making me absolutely cringe because the way it's presented and I'm not slighting Dinesh D'Souza. I think he made a very effective movie. So don't get upset with me yet, but he had the Salem media cast join him for a discussion about what was found. And at the beginning of the film, they kind of give the before impression before they see all the information that he's gotten. And so the cast of characters is Eric Metaxas, which he seems pretty on board. Charlie Kirk, pretty on board. Sebastian Gorka, pretty on board. And then you've got Larry Elder and Dennis Prager, who just can't believe it's possible that the election was stolen. The courts, they 
looked at the evidence and they dismissed the cases. No, morons, that didn't happen. And if you had followed the situation carefully, you would already know that. Dennis Prager came out saying that it's bad that people are even discussing it because they don't have the evidence to justify the discussion. Now, that's crazy. A year and a half and these conservative stalwarts, these conservative media figures did not bother investigating any of the claims of election fraud. They just accepted the central narrative across the board, went along with it and helped perpetuate the central narrative. And that has been infuriating for a year and a half. And anybody who's listened to my show for any length of time will know that I feel that way about people like that, especially Larry Elder did not stand up at all during his run for California governor in the recall election that people like me went out and helped get signatures for. That recall election was obviously influenced by massive overwhelming fraud. They created almost 13 million votes for that recall. There were only 17 million votes in the Trump Biden 2020 race. And in an off year recall election for governor, they created enough votes for Gavin Newsom to beat out the field by 3.1 million votes. Now, California still sends mail-in ballots to all of their registered voters, even though they have no fewer than 5 million excess voter registrations. They also allowed people to print out their mail-in ballots at home, just normal paper, so nothing could ever be checked. They literally invent votes. And of course, they have all the other fraud methods that are used around the country and other places. Gavin Newsom was harder on California than pretty much any other governor was on their states in terms of COVID restrictions and lockdowns and masking and pushing the experimental gene therapy. California was as far gone as you can be. California is essentially a communist proxy state of the CCP. California is, for all intents and purposes, a preview of what life will be like everywhere else if the global agenda keeps pushing forward. And Larry Elder never went after that. It was pathetic. Now, as always, I am open to there being another explanation for why Larry Elder was so quiet or why David Perdue didn't contest the Georgia elections. Maybe they were told, hey, just do your job. Don't do the election fraud thing. We've got that stuff working. It's under control. All good. Go out. Talk about the issues. Maybe that happened. I don't believe that. I think it's a very small possibility, but maybe. So when I saw Prager and Elder just come out like that, it was immediately like cringe and eye roll for me. Thank goodness that is not <laughs> how the rest of the conversation went. Although Dennis Prager pretending to be surprised by the end of the film. Oh my gosh, something has to be done about this. Yeah, okay, Dennis, <laughs> you first. How about that? You get up there, you start taking action like millions of Americans have been doing for the last 18 months. You be our leader, oh principled one. So yeah, I'm complaining. 
but I had to get that out there. Now, we've gone through a bunch of the true the vote evidence and what it all means, how they acquired it with the geofencing, the tracking of individual devices as they moved back and forth between the offices of Democrat NGOs and the drop boxes, a whole bunch of drop boxes all around different cities. So if you remember last week, the AP fact check, a Pennsylvania state senator told us he had six devices in his pocket and he often went from an office to drop boxes for the drop box rallies. Yeah, that's not what they're talking about at all. And anyone who watches the movie would not be swayed by that fact check in any way, nor any of the other fact checks. It's ridiculous. Okay, this is hardcore, irrefutable evidence. They have it all. They have the data. They know whose devices were where law enforcement can deal with all of this evidence and they eventually will hopefully in as many places as possible as soon as possible. But we'll get to the bottom of all of it sooner or later. But as good as the work True the Vote did and as good as the 2000 Mules documentary is, it is not a complete picture of how the 2020 election was stolen and how other elections are stolen. It presupposes the idea that votes come in, votes are counted, and that's the final result and that we're just counting all of those votes. That's not exactly what happens. This ballot trafficking operation is done so that they can backfill the paper aspect of the results they're producing through the voting machines, through an algorithm. All of that part of it is real. Lady Draza and Jeff O'Donnell and a bunch of other mathematical geniuses and systems experts have gone through this stuff at length over the last 18 months. Now, obviously, the Salem media people don't seem to understand this. And I'm not saying, by the way, that this had to be a focus of the film, although it would have been helpful. But these ballots coming in are not primarily to make up the actual vote and give us the actual result of all these ballots when properly counted. They exist to prop up and substantiate the result that the machines give us. This process is done so that any surface level review of the election will find that everything is okay, that the ballots actually do match the totals. But these are fraudulent ballots. They are trafficked. They do not correspond to an actual voter. They are dead voters, people that have moved, people who are in the voter registry but not eligible to vote in any given state or locality's elections. And this is why states keep extremely dirty voter rolls. Every time a voter roll is purged, we are told that that is voter suppression. It's not. It's keeping accurate records so that the vote can be fair. So they have the machine result. Under that, they have fraudulent ballots to substantiate that result. And they hope that no one ever looks any lower to see who those voters were and whether or not they were legally eligible to cast votes in that given election. And this becomes an even bigger problem in states like California, who register voters at the DMV and also allow illegal immigrants to get driver's licenses. And these are the sorts of things you begin to find as you go level 
by level beneath what that total vote count was as reported by the news. And when I talk about how illegal immigrants are being brought to the country to exploit their political power, this is part of what I mean. They have to substantiate the machine results somehow. So the thing I want to make sure everybody takes away from this is that while 2000 mules is excellent and it should be convincing for people who have doubts about election fraud, it is not the complete story. Getting rid of mail in ballots would be awesome. Getting rid of drop boxes would be awesome. Making sure there is voter ID would be awesome. These are basic, basic things that must be done to move even closer toward a free and fair election. But that is not all that needs to be done. The machines are the number one guarantee of fraudulent outcomes. That is why the machines must be removed. That is why no one in the establishment of either party ever talks about removing the machines. Because the machines are what keeps professional politicians in power. So this is a great entry point to the fact that election fraud absolutely happened, that the election was absolutely stolen. Great entry point for normies. But when they talk to you and say, oh, wow, don't just say, I told you so. Say that is only a fraction of the problem because it legitimately is only a fraction of the problem. So today is May 9th, which marks the 77th anniversary of Russia's victory over the Nazis in World War II. And there are massive parades in Russia to commemorate the event. Vladimir Putin gave a speech to the Russian people talking about the special military operation in Ukraine. He is, of course, claiming victory because it seems obvious that Russia has accomplished their tasks in Ukraine, despite what's going on in the news and despite what the news tells you, despite what you're being told by professional politicians who are currently engaged in excessive warmongering. And you'll recall last week I mentioned Jen Psaki talking about this anniversary of the Russian victory over the Nazis. And she suggested that the West, America and its allies would have some sort of response to this celebration, some sort of distraction, something to take away from it. They had some surprise up their sleeve. Now, I'm not sure what that is, but I do know that Dr. Jill Biden, Justin Trudeau and U2's Bono were, quote unquote, in Ukraine over the weekend. Bono went to Ukraine to play a surprise concert in a subway station that they were calling a bomb shelter in Kiev. There was a whole film crew, a whole lighting crew. I'm not going to go too deep into it because I'm actually making a, uh, a video about this that I hope will be out tomorrow in the morning. But I'm not sure what else it could be that they expect to distract from the Russian victory parade. And it's not like all Americans' eyes are on it in the first place. Although as far as optics are concerned, massive Russian military parades are probably not giving the impression to the child brains that the global communists desire. They want to imagine that 
Russia is all fragmented. There is an active uprising against Vladimir Putin. In fact, there were reports this weekend that there is some coup plotting going on that is meant to take Vladimir Putin out as president of Russia. Hasn't happened yet. I guess we'll see if they try to march forward with that. I wonder if they were hoping that was going to happen before this day. I guess it didn't work out if that was the plan. Now, if you are highly invested in the central narrative or you're one of those people that thinks, well, I get that the central narrative is not like correct or always correct, but at least it's based on reality. Like it touches reality at certain points. You're here saying that Russia is dominating Ukraine. The news is saying that Ukraine has thwarted Russia's attempts at domination. And there's actually a chance that Ukraine is going to win. So we need to pump all this new money over there. They just wanted to send 33 billion. Now they want another 20 billion. That can't all be correct. I mean, hey, I can see what you're saying, but the truth must be somewhere between your position and the position of the news. Well, hey, maybe, maybe I am too far to the other side, but I don't think so. I think my position maps onto reality. I'm more than open to someone pointing out how it does not. I think we're all doing the best we can with the limited information we have access to and the mass of disinformation that is being disseminated by the media across the world. But I do know that Jill Biden and Justin Trudeau sneaking across the border for a short time to view some wreckage or meet with a UN migration affiliate, those are not exactly displays of the West's power in relation to Russia. They're photo ops. And they are also photo ops in places that we are told are war zones and clearly are not. They're just walking around with people. Jill Biden is making tissue paper bears with the comedic actor's wife and a bunch of children that are being migrated through Ukraine by the UN. Migrated. And then you've got Bono in a subway station with a film crew and professional lighting and fans in the audience. They're calling it a bomb shelter, the subway station. But the fans are like smiling and recording it with their cell phones. There are all sorts of different professional cameramen there. I don't know, five, ten professional camera rigs in a bomb shelter, quote unquote bomb shelter. I mean, how can anyone believe this stuff? And it turns out it seems that the world is beginning not to. This was an op-ed from Thomas Friedman in the New York Times on Saturday. The headline is, the war is getting more dangerous for America, and Biden knows it. And immediately, I was like, well, that's not what we've been told for the last three months. If you just followed news reports on Ukraine, you might think that the war has settled into a long, grinding, and somewhat boring slog. You would be wrong. Things are actually getting more dangerous by the day. And remember what perspective Tom Friedman is representing here in the New York Times. 
For starters, the longer this war goes on, the more opportunity for catastrophic miscalculations and the raw material for that is piling up fast and furious. Take the two high profile leaks from American officials this past week about U.S. involvement in the Russia-Ukraine war. First, the Times disclosed that, quote, the United States has provided intelligence about Russian units that has allowed Ukrainians to target and kill many of the Russian generals who have died in action in the Ukraine war, according to senior American officials. Now that, my friends, sounds like 100 percent direct involvement in the war by the United States. And I would be awfully surprised if the people actually taking out these Russian generals are Ukrainians. Second, the Times following a report by NBC News and citing U.S. officials, reported that America has, quote, provided intelligence that helped Ukrainian forces locate and strike the Moskva, the flagship of Russian's Black Sea fleet. This targeting assistance, quote, contributed to the eventual sinking of the Moskva by two Ukrainian cruise missiles. And what are we supposed to take Ukrainian cruise missiles to mean? Who is supplying the Ukrainians with these cruise missiles, are they actually Ukrainian cruise missiles or is the assertion that the Ukrainians are doing this with a little bit of help a fig leaf to cover up the fact that the United States and other nations are actively involved in the run up to World War Three? Back to the article. As a journalist, I love a good leak story and the reporters who broke those stories did powerful digging. At the same time, from everything I have been able to glean from senior U.S. officials who spoke to me on the condition of anonymity, the leaks were not part of any thought out strategy. And President Biden was livid about them. OK, Joe Biden does not have emotions. <laughs> Joe Biden is incoherent and demented. He does not know what's going on anywhere. I assume he still has the ability to get upset about things when his position is personally threatened, but there's no reason to take that as a serious reflection of Joe Biden's thought and war strategy. So the administration doesn't like the leaks from the administration's own intelligence community, right? The fake president didn't choose to have these leaks. Someone else did it. And on some level, that should be unsurprising because Joe Biden doesn't actually have the political power to engage the United States in World War Three because the citizenry doesn't want. It. So rather than proactively join the war, which we are pretending we are not doing, what if we could reactively join the war? What if the leak of this sort of intelligence that proves the U.S.'s involvement in the war, a war we are ostensibly not part of, a war to protect first the sovereign borders of Ukraine and then the Ukrainian people, and now just to weaken Russia's army. What if these leaks might make Russia strike against obviously U.S. forces somewhere or U.S. shipments of weapons somewhere? So that the whole thing could then be reframed as Putin attacking America. Well, that would get you a World War Three. That might even get you some more popular support in America, or at least that would be their calculation. 
I'm told that Biden called the director of national intelligence, the director of the CIA and the secretary of defense to make clear in the strongest and most colorful language that this kind of loose talk is reckless and has got to stop immediately before we end up in an unintended war with Russia. And in Tom Friedman's world, that actually makes sense. In Tom Friedman's false reality, Joe Biden is a legitimate president who is handling his role in office with dignity and grace and authority. Obviously, none of that is true. Joe Biden insulting someone else's loose talk is madness. Joe Biden does not even know what he's saying. He said before any of this started that Russia might be able to make a small incursion in a major speech in Poland, if, as if Joe Biden makes major speeches. He declared that Putin had to be removed from power. That is loose talk. That is as loose as talk gets. How many times does the White House have to walk back Joe Biden's remarks? Almost every day. Almost everything Joe Biden says is loose talk. The only time it's not loose talk is when he's following the script exactly. And the script writers don't accidentally put loose talk into the script. And they are prone to do that as well because they are morons. The staggering takeaway from these leaks is that they suggest we are no longer in an indirect war with Russia, but rather edging toward a direct war. And no one has prepared the American people or Congress for that. Oh, no kidding, Tom. You mean Joe Biden and the rest of the fake administration has not gone to the American people and asked for their approval? to involve the country in a war with a nuclear armed adversary over a country America has no particular interest in? Shocking. But I guess it's very responsible that Friedman is now admitting that we are directly engaged in this situation beyond any point of the president's own legal authority or anything that has been justified in any way to the American people. Vladimir Putin surely has no illusions about how much the U.S. and NATO are arming Ukraine with material and intelligence. But when American officials start to brag in public about playing a role in killing Russian generals and sinking the Russian flagship, killing many sailors, we could be creating an opening for Putin to respond in ways that could dangerously widen this conflict and drag the U.S. deeper than it wants to be. And so I guess Thomas Friedman has revealed the agenda of the anonymous senior U.S. officials he's talking to. It's doubly dangerous, senior U.S. officials say, because it's increasingly obvious to them that Putin's behavior is not as predictable as it has been in the past. And Putin is running out of options for some kind of face saving success on the ground or even a face saving off ramp. Now, again, Remember whose interests Tom Friedman is representing. Remember his point of view. Remember the goals of the global communist order in this situation with Russia. The evil twin wants Russia's sovereignty ended. They do not want Russia to be a sovereign state that looks out first and foremost for Russia. They want Russia to succumb to the global communist state and fall back in line. So if you are speaking as a proponent of the global communist world order, you might say things like 
Putin's behavior is not as predictable as it was in the past because Putin would take what he wanted and then he would back off a bit. And the global communist order maintained the illusion that they have Vladimir Putin and his goals of a sovereign Russian state still under their thumb, still under their control. Now he's not predictable because it doesn't seem like he's going to go back and do what they want. And what would this face saving off ramp be? We're talking about a guy who is currently battling actual Nazi forces and foreign mercenaries in a country that shares a border with Russia, where dangerous biological research was going on, where the formal Ukrainian army has as part of it neo-Nazi battalions. So who does Vladimir Putin need to save face in front of? And once again, of course, we're talking about the leadership of the global communist order. There is no off ramp where they might forgive him. That is what Thomas Friedman is saying. It is hard to exaggerate what a catastrophe this war has been for Putin so far. Well, I mean, he's having a massive parade today and claiming victory and commemorating Russia's victory over the Nazis. But sure, what a catastrophe. Indeed, Biden pointed out to his team that Putin was trying to push back on NATO expansion, and he's ended up laying the groundwork for the expansion of NATO. Both Finland and Sweden are now taking steps toward joining an alliance they've stayed out of for seven decades. And we are supposed to believe that. Again, we are supposed to believe that based on a bunch of false narratives that were fed to us at the beginning, that Vladimir Putin is actually trying to reform and reunite the Soviet Union. And so for that, he needs to take over other countries and does not want NATO expanded because that might make his overall mission harder. Therefore, this is a catastrophe. But Putin has not expressed that. Once again, Putin's special military operation in Ukraine is designed to keep Crimea part of Russia, to preserve the independence of the Donbass region and end the civil war that is being waged against ethnic Russians in the Donbass. He wants to keep Ukraine out of the EU and out of NATO. And he wants Ukraine demilitarized and denazified. Those are Putin's stated goals. We don't have to necessarily trust those goals. We have to see if that situation maps onto reality better than the story we're getting from the news, which is Vladimir Putin wants to take over all the former Soviet countries and reunite the Soviet Union. He doesn't care about Finland and Sweden joining NATO. Not that it has even happened yet. They just talk about it happening. He cares about keeping Ukraine out of NATO and the EU. And it looks like that's already been a success. They talked about that a couple months ago. It hasn't happened. But that is why U.S. officials are quite concerned what Putin might do or announce at the Victory Day celebration in Moscow on Monday which marks the anniversary of the Soviet Union's defeat of Nazi Germany. It is traditionally a day of military parades in celebration of the prowess of the Russian army. Putin could mobilize even more soldiers, make some other provocation, or do nothing at all, but no one knows. Hey, Tom, now we know. The scare tactic didn't work. Alas, we have to be alive to the fact that it's not only the Russians who would like to involve us more deeply. What indications has anyone 
on the Russian side, given that they are trying to involve the U.S. more deeply in this war. Again, Putin laid out his terms for negotiation, his terms for surrender from the very beginning. The fake administration and the global communists have prolonged this war. Have no illusions. President Volodymyr Zelensky of Ukraine has been trying to do the same thing from the start to make Ukraine an immediate member of NATO or get Washington to form a bilateral security pact with Kyiv. I am in awe of Zelensky's heroism and leadership. If I were him, I'd be trying to get the U.S. as enmeshed on my side as he is. Oh, and you're in awe of that? You're in awe of some illegitimate president of the most corrupt state in the world trying to get the U.S. more enmeshed in a situation that could easily become World War III? Gosh, what a good American citizen you are, Tom. Back to the article. But I'm an American citizen. Ha <laughs> ha. Sure you are, Tom. And I want us to be careful. Ukraine was and still is a country marbled with corruption. That doesn't mean we should not be helping it. I'm glad we are. I insist we do. Oh, everyone's listening, Tom. Insist more. But my sense is that the Biden team is walking much more of a tightrope with Zelensky than it would appear to the eye, wanting to do everything possible to make sure he wins this war, but doing so in a way that still keeps some distance between us and Ukraine's leadership. I get it. So you don't want to take the comedic actor to the prom, but you will stick a note in the comedic actor's locker that says you have a secret admirer. That's so Kiev is not calling the shots and so will not be embarrassed by messy Ukrainian politics in the war's aftermath. Oh, got it. So Thomas Friedman is worried that the comedic actor might end up taking more power than the fake president. Hmm. The view of Biden and his team, according to my reporting, is that America needs to help Ukraine restore its sovereignty and beat the Russians back, but not let Ukraine turn itself into an American protectorate on the border of Russia. We need to stay laser focused on what is our national interest and not stray in ways that lead to exposures and risks we don't want. Hey, Tom, why are we giving them all our money and weapons then, commie? One thing I know about Biden, with whom I traveled to Afghanistan in 2002 when he was a senator heading the Foreign Relations Committee, is that he is not easily romanced by world leaders. Wow, man! That's incredible. Joe Biden is not easily romanced by world leaders? You can corrupt Joe Biden by the time the appetizers get there. You can compromise Joe Biden with a card from the car wash that's fully checked off. Hey, Joe, here's this card. Next time you go to the car wash, it's free. And Joe Biden's like, yeah, sure, CCP businessman, your company can operate in America. Would you like us to change any laws for you? Back to Thomas Friedman, the very wise Thomas Friedman, who once traveled with Joe Biden and knows how strong a leader Joe Biden is. He has dealt with too many of them over his career. This is 
world leaders, by the way. He's got a pretty good sense of where U.S. interests stop and start. Ask the Afghans. Wow. Totally false reality. Ask the Afghans. He is talking specifically about the location of one of the most embarrassing incidents in American history caused by Joe Biden just last August. So where are we now? Putin's plan A, taking Kiev and installing his own leader. That was never his plan A. There's absolutely no evidence that says that was Putin's plan A. None. Anywhere. The TV told us. That's all. So that plan has failed, according to Friedman. And his plan B, trying to just take full control of Ukraine's old industrial heartland, known as the Donbass, which is largely Russian speaking, is still in doubt. No, Tom. No, it's not. Putin's freshly reinforced ground forces have made some progress, but it's still limited. Man, that's weird. I heard Russia was getting decimated and running out of supplies two months ago. Now they have a freshly reinforced ground force. Got it. It is springtime in the Donbass, meaning the ground is still sometimes muddy and wet. So Russian armor still has to stay on the roads and highways in many areas, making them vulnerable. Oh, yeah. What a threat. As America navigates Ukraine and Russia tries to avoid being ensnared, one bright spot in the effort to avoid a wider war is the administration's success at keeping China from providing military aid to Russia. This has been huge. And we are supposed to believe somehow that Joe Biden's exercise of power is what has caused China not to supply Russia with military aid. Yeah, sure. That's what did it. The country that has Joe Biden and his degenerate son fully and absolutely compromised, this being China. Well, I mean, it's true in Ukraine and Russia as well. But that country is listening to Joe Biden's pleas to his own authority, and that's why they're not giving military aid. Sure, Tom. After all, it was just February 4th when China's president, Xi Jinping, hosted Putin at the opening of the 2022 Winter Olympic Games, where they unveiled all sorts of trade and energy agreements and then issued a joint declaration asserting that the friendship between Russia and China, quote, has no limits. That was then. After the war started, Biden personally explained to Xi in a lengthy phone call that China's economic future rests on access to the American and European markets, its two largest trading partners. And should China provide military aid to Putin, it would have very negative consequences for China's trade with both markets. Yes, I am sure that is what backed Xi down. Xi did the math and has been deterred from helping Russia in any military way, which has also made Putin weaker. The Western restrictions on shipping microchips to Russia have begun to really hobble some of his factories, and China has not stepped in so far. Oh, really? So Russia and China make currency deals and deals for oil and natural gas, but the West is preventing China from delivering microchips to Russia? Does that make any sense to anyone inside the false reality? It doesn't make any sense inside the false reality. It does make sense outside of the false reality where what he is really talking about 
is Taiwan. And we will, I'm sure, discuss that in much greater length in the coming weeks or maybe months. But there is no way to paint this situation as Joe Biden's authority backing down any of these countries from doing anything. My bottom line echoes my top line, and I can't underscore it enough. We need to stick as tightly as possible to our original, limited, and clearly defined aim of helping Ukraine expel Russian forces as much as possible or negotiate for their withdrawal whenever Ukraine's leaders feel the time is right. Now, Ukraine's leaders are specifically prevented from doing that or it would have happened two months ago. And that's because Volodymyr Zelensky, the comedic actor, and all other Ukrainian leaders are powerless. They are only there to voice the position of the global communist order and implement it to the best of their ability. There is nothing else for them to decide, much like the fake president in the United States, Joe Biden. There is no real power. There is no real decision making authority. He is only there as an avatar of the global communist state to present a semi-legitimate and semi-acceptable face to what they're doing in America. As if somehow the position he represents is the position of America and America's citizens. But we are dealing with some incredibly unstable elements, particularly a politically wounded Putin boasting about killing his generals and sinking his ships or falling in love with Ukraine in ways that will get us enmeshed there forever is the height of folly. Now, obviously, there is no reason to believe that Putin has been politically weakened in his own country at all. He is also not politically weakened in the eyes of the Chinese, India, Brazil, South Africa, the BRICS group that that currency alliance. He's not even politically weakened in Europe, where they are dependent on him continuing to ship oil and natural gas. So almost all of this article is absolute nonsense, just false reality nonsense. But that is when you ask, what do they want us to believe? They would love if we believed all of that garbage. But the thing this article is meant to convince people of is maybe it's time we just scale back a little bit on that whole Ukraine thing. And so we'll see if more articles like this begin springing up, then we have real evidence of a narrative shift. But this seems like it might be the beginning of a pretty major one. They're giving up the ghost on Ukraine and not just the ghost of Kiev. I'll be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic and Joe Biden will never be president. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm your moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. 
If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'mYourModerator.Substack.com. The merch site is CancelCouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hell!